0: Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of The Innovation Crush. I've actually never put a the in front of Innovation Crush. So, how did it sound? Does it sound good to you? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's right. The, the Innovation Crush. My name is Chris Denson. Um, your gracious host. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time ever, this show covers all things ideas, marketing, creativity, business, smart people doing smart, smart things. And uh, today, that ball continues rolling. Uh, hello, Eden Chin. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I just uh, got in from San Francisco. And, <laughs> like how like how, how? long ago is just?
1: I literally got in like maybe an hour and 30 minutes ago, stopped by my brother's house and then came, came straight here. I
0: appreciate you for, for making that trek and, and being a timely sport. No worries. And you actually have a sports sweatshirt on. So that's I love sports. <laughs> I love sports. That'll be the quote for this uh, interview. Be like awesome. I love sports. Eatin' gin, Fisherman Labs. Um, uh, so before I, I, I start rambling on, why don't you tell the people uh, a little bit of a, the 90-second version of who, uh, who you are? Yeah, so I grew up in Maryland, right outside D.C.,
1: like maybe 20 minutes from D.C. My mom was a radio head or a
0: journalist, um, she wasn't in Radiohead. No, okay, that would right, be awesome. Just quite a distinction. Just the, <laughs> the Asian lady in Radiohead. <laughs> you know her? Yeah, you yeah, like the Fifth <laughs> Yeah,
1: uh, my dad was a musician, classical composer. So grew up in a very non-traditional Asian family, um, and then went to Emory for school and wanted to be a youth pastor. Actually, at the time, and. Um, Uh, When I was 19, I started to trade stocks, and I got into it because I wanted to make some money so that I could pay for my expensive private school, and ended up doing a a lot better than I thought I would, and um, that kind of rolled into post-school and um, work, and then uh, ended up starting a hedge fund out in Los Angeles, Uh, did that for... About a year and a half, and then uh, kind of got a little tired of.
0: How does one start you know, a hedge fund?
1: Uh, well, there's a couple ways you could do it. One is uh, Hold something. On, let me get my pen out, huh?
0: Let me get my pen. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> ten <laughs> divided by eleven times seven. No, uh, I so, mean especially, uh, and uh, I say that in jest, but like coming out of college, you right. know, you, like you said, you started at 19, you were doing well. You're at a private school. What did you study at Emory? Uh, I studied business. I was
1: actually. Originally in the seminary, um, so I was like you know 19 years old, 18 years old, and everybody else was like 30 plus, it's like super intimidating. <laughs> We're like studying Greek and Hebrew and stuff, and I uh, got into the uh finance stuff just kind of out of uh almost like a mistake, um, and um, yeah, uh, you know. Got into trading, and then there's there's kind of well back to your question. There's kind of a couple ways you can start a fund. One is you raise money, and you know work with institutional investors, and that is very very difficult for someone that is young, um, especially the finance industry is kind of a old boys club in a lot yeah. of ways. Um, so real estate, oil, <laughs> hedge fund. I mean, those are industries generally where you don't see a lot of innovation in terms of like young people coming in and right. disrupting things. So, I mean, even when I was work- like, right out of school, I went and did investment banking. And when I told people I was going to go start a hedge fund, people were like, you're crazy. Like, that's stupid. Um, <laughs> and uh, well, we had run a fund in college and basically had talked with four founders, or me and three other people about starting a fund post, um, you know, working for a year or two. And one of the uh, partners had done very, very well, had extremely um, good performance. Two of us had done, had traded together as well in college. And then the fourth partner was a professor at Emory. So he had um, been around for a while. He was in his, you know, late 40s, early 50s kind of thing and, um, you know, brought a lot of the institutional experience. And we started mainly as a proprietary fund, meaning we were trading our own capital. um, And did that for a couple of years. The goal was like, let's build a track record and then we'll go out to institutional investors and raise money. Um, so yeah.
0: How do you respond to the haters? Especially like the, you know, like you said, there was a big age gap while you were you know right. learning and working, but then you, then you decided to do it on your own. And they're like, then it was really ha Um, how does, how does Eden Chen respond to opposition <laughs> in that well, context? Yeah. I mean, I, I always think like,
1: I don't necessarily care what people think that much, uh, in general, Uh, So I try not to listen to all the noise, but, you know, for me it was, it was, it was humbling in a lot of ways because we didn't do very well when we started the fund. So, um, you know, we, we ran it for two years. I had personally made um, some money, so I had money saved up uh, and, you know, had, had seen a lot of success in trading in the past. But when I actually started the fund, we ha- we ran into a lot of issues. Um, we had one of our partners was going through some personal stuff, and he kind of you know stopped showing up to the office. And he was a key member of what we were doing. Um, two of us were very young, and we just didn't have a lot of discipline too. Right. Um, and the fourth partner was part you know part time teaching in Atlanta, and so we we didn't do we you know we didn't do bad. We just didn't do enough. And so, in some ways, it was like, well, maybe people are right, you know. <laughs> so, right, right, right. Um, so th- it was humbling in a lot of ways, but it was it was an amazing experience, uh, still. And uh, and so, yeah, that's kind of
0: yeah, yeah, that no, was great. Um, so, kind of fast forward, right? You've been through some some ventures and adventures, if you will. Um, uh, Forbes 30 Under 30, congratulations. It's, it's this year, right? Yeah, uh,
1: yeah. I guess they just announced tw- it, like, yeah. uh, maybe two weeks ago or something.
0: Yeah, way to hum- humble brag. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, no, <laughs> um, tell us a little bit about Fisherman Labs and what it is and what you do there and, you know.
1: So we originally got started, Charles and I, I met Charles uh, at a church I was going to. Uh, I, I pulled out of the hedge fund after about a year and a half, spent a year kind of reorienting myself with software development, which was kind of something that I did in high school. Um, and Charles had been doing uh, software development for 20 years. We met and we were, we just got along in friendship, business. And we were like, how do we start something together? It doesn't matter what it is. Let's just do something. Um, and, We originally wanted to do something like a Yelp for events. So kind of like, what is there to do tonight in Los Angeles? Like, I don't know. Like, what concerts are playing? What sports games are on? That kind of thing. And there's been probably like a dozen other apps that have done that since, you know, four years ago when we did that. But we reached out to agencies. We talked to a lot of engineers. And we just found that in Los Angeles, it was really, really hard to find good engineers. Um, And the agencies that we were talking to... When we, you know, kind of dug deeper into what does the engineering process look like? How do you guys hire? A lot of it was like, oh, hiring's just like we see if they went to an Ivy League school, and you know, then we hire them. <laughs> we think they're smart. Yes, like, well, yeah, that doesn't show. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of great programmers that don't come out of Ivy League schools, right. and uh, the training process was just also like we were like uh, that. Uh, the the product development process of like. Designers passing designs over to developers, designers understanding what standards, you know, mobile design has, for example. So, like, a header needs to be X pixels high on iOS versus Android. How to, you know, produce all the different dimension sizes for Android that need to be produced. And then when engineering goes into actual production, how that actual production goes back to design and then goes to qa before actually going to launch like all that that whole process that we had been familiar with because we were kind of like techie engineer guys we were like and you know other people weren't doing so we're like maybe it makes sense to like start something in this space hmm. and like we don't have to go through the fundraising thing and we can actually have a lot more control over uh, you know vision and a lot of the kind of unique things that we want to do um so that's kind of yeah. how we got started
0: and so to you, we were talking about this before. You know, you've you started off like, hey, we're going to create products, right? right. And then, mm-hmm. and the company's only what, a couple of years old. Probably, we're like, we're on our fourth year now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Double what I said. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, and then you're in the kind of in the midst of a of a pivot of, of sorts, right? Um, yeah. you know, to to align a little bit more on the marketing services side. Am I am I correct?
1: Yeah. It's like, how do we make essentially great products for people so someone has an idea someone has uh someone has a target audience how do we make a great product so there's there's a lot of sort of quote-unquote agencies that'll focus on how do we market a product or how do we sell a product our thing is like that's awesome and people are amazing at that and there's a lot of creative people out there but we want to basically answer the question how do you create an excellent product and so, I think there's like somewhat of a merger between, um, you know, product building great products and quote unquote marketing nowadays. Um, you know, marketing's still super, super important. And like I said, there's a lot of great creatives out there that are making amazing ads and um, that have amazing ideas and all that kind of stuff. But our thing is like, okay, you bring us the idea, and we will turn this into like the best engineered product we can, you know, make.
0: And well, how's that? in just as a from. I guess from a managerial standpoint, right. right? Like any company that pivots, right? And it's not like it's not a drastic pivot, right? It, it's, yeah, you yeah. know, it's it's it, it makes sense, but you know, people whether they signed up for a job and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, we're doing what now, or. or even how to go out now pitch and market that service to a different group that you were going. Like what are some of the things you've experienced in the pivoting process that you've had to personally adjust to or, you know, you've either found difficult or, or maybe even like naturally easy? Yeah, part of it was like it was a little bit
1: natural because – we were doing a little bit like on-the-side consulting because once people found out you guys are starting a company in technology, they're just like, oh, can you help us like answer some tech questions for us, right? And so we had done that very early on with Qualcomm and NBC, and we just started to figure like, well, we have these two great brands that we can put on our quote-unquote portfolio if we do end up being sort of more of a services company and like it, it's kind of a waste not to put that into a brand because sure. it's like we're doing this work. We might as well put it into a brand. And so we just did that, not really thinking this will become the company that we work on eventually. But then I, I personally just like fell in love with it too because I always thought like the smartest people work in product, like on the you know on the actual like I'm gonna start Facebook or I'm gonna start <laughs> right. Pinterest or whatever. Like they will they work on one product and they you know create this amazing thing. And that's that's what I wanted to do. I was like, Oh, that sounds amazing and. Um, I felt like, you know, service is kind of inferior because it's like you're always working for your client or blah, 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 blah. blah. But for me, it was like the more and more I did it, I was like, this is amazing because I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly working on new projects. I get to work with people, which for me is like the thing that I enjoy doing the most. And uh, it's strategy, it's tech, it's design, it's all that combined. And it's working across different industries. And and I I just really felt like I was – intellectually growing constantly which is something that for me it's just like how do I how do I constantly grow and that was like such a great experience for me that we were like well let's just make this our thing and so that we ended up doing that that's cool
0: time. I, and it's funny because like that this, this is the moment your like eyes light up right, right. Like, you know this kind of like Cross-functional, like you know, a satisfying a sense of ADD, if you will. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Oh, exactly. I'm, like yeah. multiple stimul- you know, inputs. Right. Um, what? Give us some examples of the outcome. You know, like what maybe like a project that you like you feel like as a crown jewel of what Fisherman Labs is, is put together.
1: Yeah. So like one cool thing we're we're doing um, this this next week um, is we we're working with Regal, um, HTC, and Sony. And uh, for the, the Resident Evil launch. And uh, one really, really cool thing that we got to do is build this VR experience, which is this zombie game where you uh, you put on this VR headset and you're shooting zombies. And um, if you buy a ticket to, like, Regal, you get to go to the LA Live and experience this. And HTC is sponsoring it, Regal's on it, Sony's on it. And getting the different parties together and getting people excited about what virtual reality is, which is, like, this emerging technology that... Um, you know, we th- we all think is going to do something this year. I think pre- people are predicting, like, 12 million units this year, which yeah. compared to, like, uh, you know, iPhone, iPhone sold, I think, 200 million units last year. Um, and uh, so 12 million is still nothing. But yeah. it's something that's emerging, and it, people that have tried it are fascinated by it. For us, we get to create this experience and get so many people interested in something like that. Um, so for us, it's, like, em- emerging technology is really, like, the areas that we work in. So that could be, like... Creating bots or um, you know virtual reality, augmented reality type stuff, um, you know mobile apps that are um, excellent products, right. um, which is which is new for a lot of companies because most companies used to spend most of their money on um, TV ads and that kind of stuff, and now yeah. they're building products that that are interfacing with consumers more. So it's something that you know for us is is really exciting to get to work on. So I, we, so we've done mo- that kind of stuff, and then we've done. So our, our history was that our first two years, we spent most of our time on startups. So we were working with startups that had raised anywhere from 200000 to around like $2 million, $5 million, And we'd help them on, one, either just augmenting their development staff, or two, if they had a development staff already, we'd work with their development staff and try to help them on the product development cycle that I talked about previously. And here's how you run you know, and Scrum, here's how you run Agile, and yeah. here's how you build software efficiently, and let's do this for three months together, train your staff, and then let you guys fly. So that was something that we did with startups mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and then we, gre- we grew to the point where we're like, we need... To, well, also, funding for startups has really dried up over <laughs> the last uh, <laughs> yeah, six, six months to a year. Yep. So that's a factor. Um, and also for us, like, on the brand side, there's just way more budget to work with... Um, a lot of the research and the testing stuff that we really enjoy. So, really diving into stuff. Whereas startups work uh, on a more agile fashion. So, they're trying to move quickly, they're trying to test, they're trying to iterate. And both of those are really valid ways to approach yeah. uh, development. Uh, but they're different, and we, we feel like we can learn from both. It's like we can learn from the kind of nimble mindset, but we can also learn from the deep-dive research mindset I, too, I as think well. that's
0: great. I, you know, I, I do a lot of work with big brands and startups and kind of meshing them together, right. you yeah, know, and, like, forcing them yeah. to work together. Yeah. And it's because the expectation and the mindsets are, like, completely different. And you. most, you know, especially in today's sort of entrepreneurial culture, like, most entrepreneurs haven't had much, like, corporate experience. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when a client is like, "Oh, uh, let's have their PR team do it." I was like, there's two people that work at this company, right? Right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, just these like balancing out yeah. these these misconceptions. But I want to go back to something that I, I think is kind of interesting because you were you passionate about finance cuz like I said, your eyes lit up when you t- start talking about like working with people and mm-hmm. like being creative and but then the numbers is like very scientific and mathematical kind of obvious <laughs> but you know what was it at the time aside from like having some success at 19 um that like money was the thing you know or finance was the thing that resonated with
1: you right i think like i love learning um and if you look at finance and capital markets there there's really an unlimited amount you can learn like capital markets are essentially like you're looking at global markets um there's constantly news hitting the wire right so you're you're constantly taking in news you're looking at what was industrial production this week you know what, what you know what are weekly claims at and you're you're constantly taking all, all this information um from a global macro side and then you're also digging into a company too as well right so i think from the trading side there's just unlimited learning in finance which is which was fascinating to me and then and the investment banking side which was i was in for you know a year two years um it's all about advisory, um, which is which is in a, kind of a sick way, very similar to what I'm doing today. <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> I was like, I never want to do this again, and right. like I'm still like working for clients, doing advisory, but just in tech. Uh, right. So people are like, "Isn't finance and like what you're doing today like completely different?" I'm like, "It's actually like pretty much exactly the same." The main reason that I stepped away from the hedge fund side is hedge funds make money by the movement of money so um you know when you make one trade someone is on the other side of that trade so there's not a lot of actual production from a creative side that's actually happening monitoring
0: uh, for the for the most part
1: yeah i mean it's like a a venture capitalist is a little bit different because they're putting risk at work and then they're also advising the person that they're putting risk risk capital to Whereas for a hedge fund, if I don't invest in, you know, X company, Google, someone else is going to invest in Google. It's a pretty efficient market. So you don't have a lot of opportunity to actually impact that company. So Google doesn't care whether X hedge fund puts money right. into Google. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So it's it just, for me, it was like, I want to make impact. I want to be creative. I want to actually, you know, do something. And the hedge fund stuff, it it it's good from a money, monetary, you know, you make money trading, but you're
0: not you know, really doing anything. Right. uh, It's not as actively creative, you know, creative. exactly. Um, where, you know, when you say your mom was a journalist and she was a member of Radiohead and, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) And, (laughs) and your dad was a classical composer. Right. Um, your brother's a DJ, right? right. Like you kind of, you're the odd man out. Like you don't, you have other siblings.
1: Uh, No, it's just us, but all my cousins are musicians too, which is kind of funny. Not all all of them, but a lot of them are. So, yeah, like
0: why why are you such a square peg in a, a slew of round holes? I mean, I, I
1: honestly think for me, like, I wasn't a good high school student. I, I, I was a horrible high school student. I played a lot of music. But you're Asian. I know. It was a, it no. was, I, <laughs> Asian was a musician and journalist parents, so it was, like, not typical. But, you know, I wasn't a good high school student. Uh, I played a lot of music, and I played a lot of video games. Uh, I mean, that's, like, what I did when I was young. But I felt like those two things grew my um, – both, like, my love for technology. And mu- music is one of those things which – people, it's it's kind of sad to me that music programs are being cut across the country because of budget issues. Because I, I really felt like for me, music took me to a place where I felt like my brain was like growing. Like mm. once I got to a certain point, I was like, I can, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting intersections between music and math and music and other, other disciplines that right. I felt like it was very hard to be tangible. But when I grew older, I felt like I could pick things up faster than other people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And a lot of that, I think... I mean, that could be just, like, some crazy... You
0: no, know, but, that's a, but that's the science behind music, right? That's right. The, the, one of the biggest arguments about, you know, against taking music out of schools. Right. Um, what what were some of your... Early, like What were you listening to at the time? Like, in your video game? Uh, funny, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I listened
1: to so many different things because of the background. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I listened to, you know, I, U2 and Radiohead and those kinds of music early yeah. on, which was, like, kind of my thing. And then my parents would forced us to listen to classical and that kind of and jazz yeah. they're huge classical and jazz fans and i hated that stuff early on because they'd turn it on the radio we're driving around I'm like, oh my gosh this sounds so bad I, I think lo- every I kid like, hated right.
0: like that that experience i had the same thing my mom used right. to listen to like some jazz station in detroit i'm like please turn this off
1: yeah and but now i'm like i'm i have classical and jazz playing on my radio when i'm driving around yeah. which is hilarious <laughs> and i'm like i love this stuff you know and i'm like sending my dad like these classical pieces now. So it definitely had an impact on me. And I I probably sub, subliminally liked it, but didn't want to let my parents know that I liked it. And uh, But it, I think music to me has a lot more relationships to the things that we do today, which are... I mean, for me, my job today is pretty much around connecting people and creating relationships and being creative and coming up with, like, kind of innovative things to do. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, a lot of what... You know, my parents are doing – well, my, my mom now, she's running – well, she, she was the director of Voice of America, which is like some 3,000-person organization. So she's like not wow. just on the journalism side. She's sure. sort of on the
0: business side now as well. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, downplay your mom. No, 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 I no, know no, no. she's awesome. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. Oh, uh, Radiohead. <laughs> 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 and she played for Radiohead. Well, that fun. I, I'm having fun, like, jumping back and forth in your yeah. timeline, right? Because, you know, when you and I met – it was uh, like you handed me your card, and I was like, "Fisherman Labs," right? Remember right. this conversation? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, are you a believer?" And you said, "Yes." And we had this whole conversation right. about church and Jesus, and and you know, just like how that's fit into your right. career path, and also, you know, I I don't, it doesn't sound like the religious religion was part of your childhood.
1: No, so it wasn't
0: you know? So how did that? happen and 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 then we'll like later we'll kind of talk about like how it manifests in in the work you do on a day-to-day basis
1: yeah so i mean i grew up in sort of a my parents were like liberal in the sense that they and i use that word liberal to mean that they wanted us to explore and figure things out for ourselves um and the the interesting thing is they were religious in the sense that they were praying for us and they had actually come and pray for us a lot but we we lived in hong kong for a period of time we came back and me and my brother were just not interested in church You know, we were just, I don't care. Like, why am I going to go to church? You know, like, it's just boring. I fall asleep. You know, I'd rather go play sports or play games or do anything except for go to church. Um, And so that was my background. And my parents just let us do what we wanted to do. So we, we didn't go to church. We just hung out. My brother... Actually went down a darker path where he was selling drugs, stealing cars. Actually, I mean he's talked about this in the past
0: before too. Oh as no! Well, so. I, I, well, it was funny. So it's the funny. police. Small world. Watch is. out! <laughs> no, small world <laughs> is like we uh, like he's a mutual friend. Well, he's obviously your brother. Yeah, but he's a he's a, my my wife DJs and like they've done a bunch of gigs and stuff together. So he's been at the house and everything.
1: Yeah, so he's he's got this crazy background too, where he was stealing cars, you know, just crazy doing drugs. He was he had, he was an alcoholic for a while. Um, and so he had all the fun. He had a lot more fun than I did. Yeah, <laughs> I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And I well, I grew up wanting to wanting that for myself because I saw like, man, my brother's like, people love my brother. He's got a he's got a crazy personality. If, if yes. you, you know, no, he's you know, he's super loving, super friendly. And uh people just uh love his kind of charismatic, you know, um, you know, personality. So I I wanted to be You know, the bad boy, too, and do all that kind of stuff. So I grew up kind of like going to the mall, and we'd steal a bunch of stuff from the mall and come out and see how much stuff could we get. I mean, that was my (laughs) background, though. And my my dad was teaching in Taiwan for a little while, and my mom was working, like, a ton. So it was just me and my brother, and we would just go to the mall after school. Like, we weren't doing homework or any of that stuff. So we were just totally not interested. And I got introduced to church um, because I was playing in a basketball league, uh, and, um, you know, again, my sweater says sports, yes. um, love sports, um, and
0: <laughs> generally I love sports. Yeah. I just love sports. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh,
1: you know, I started playing the basketball league and my, the, the, youth pastor that was the, the pastor of this church, uh, or the, the, you know, kind of youth group was like, Hey, come to wizards games. Cause he, he'd always get past these season tickets from the wizards. I was a huge wizards fan and I was like, sweet. You know, they were like good seats too. So I was like, you know, and Michael Jordan was playing then. for the Wizards, yeah. So it was like, yeah, it was rad. He was, he it's put, a rare moment
0: in time, yeah. You, you, you had yeah. this experience,
1: yeah. So it was great, and uh, I developed a friendship with him, and he invited me to go on this um, sort of like a missions trip to Nashville, where they were uh, we were working with kind of low income, and um, in in this project, and there was a few people that had moved into the low income neighborhood. These projects to basically. Um, two of them moved from Germany, so they did, they barely spoke English. It was pretty crazy. And one of them was this um, this amazing singer that um, from Florida that had this job, and he moved into the, the the projects in Nashville. And I met these people, and I thought these are the most joyful people I have ever met. Like they they're 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 in the morning, they're sweeping the floor, they're singing songs in German. And they're like <laughs> right. you're like, what are these guys doing here? You know why are they like? Uh, Why are they here? Why are they so happy? And uh, that really just like locked into my brain. And I remember I I went back home and I could not like get that picture out of my head, Hmm. like the joy of just working in the hood and the projects and my life. Which seemingly I had a lot of friends. I was, you know, we were, had everything I wanted. We were stealing, we were having fun, we were playing video games. We never really had to go to school because my parents were just not around and they didn't care too much. Like, you were living the dream. Yeah, I was living the dream for a high schooler, you know? And I was, I
0: want, like, that's the that's that's life I want now. Yeah,
1: exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I, I was like, how are they happier than me? Uh, and maybe there, and I kind of always knew, I think there's probably a God. Uh, I think there, to me, all this stuff around cognition and, you know, me having awareness and making, you know, uh, making decisions that aren't rational, there has to be something there.
0: Right.
1: And it just, it was a longer step to not believe there was a God. So I kind of knew that already. I was just kind of like, I don't really care. I'd rather just like. Hang out with chicks and, you know, play video games and, you know, do my phone <laughs> thing, play sports, you know, all the stuff that high schoolers want to do. And uh, and and so, but, it, you know, I really made this impression on my mind that there's joy that comes from this relationship with God. And I started to read a bunch. So I read all about. Um, Buddhism, because I was like, I'm Asian, so I should read about Buddhism. I think and yeah, start <laughs> uh, at home yeah. first, right? Exactly. <laughs> and you uh, know, you know, I studied. I read this one book um, that C.S. Lewis wrote called *Mere Christianity*, and that laid out Christianity to me in a way that I had never, you know, heard about religion before. So I, I read that; it had a huge impact on me in terms of kind of the the answer to the problems and evil in this world. And the answer to the goodness and love in this world, too, as well. I didn't see anything that answered those two things and the problem of, of, like, guilt. How do you deal with the guilt and shame that we all struggle with? And how do you deal with the joy and love and, and that that humans have for each other? But they're also killing each other, too. Right. So it's like that tension I felt was so well, um, you know, communicated in the gospel in in the message of Christianity. So that's when I got interested in Christianity and you know, as soon as I that happened, I wanted to be a youth pastor. So it took a turn in college. But what was it
0: like? So what period of time was that? Was it like a, a two week process, or was it like a year? Like from the time you went to the German sweeping the floor, to it's, <laughs> it's probably
1: like six months. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. It wasn't like you know the next day. I was you know I, I still <laughs> next I, day I was baptized. Yeah, yeah. I was actually just telling my wife the other day. I uh, I remember the last time that I stole because you know I was I was stealing all the time, and I remember I had. It was So I was, like, spending a lot of time with this girl in New Jersey um, who I knew That's before. the problem right Right. Now. Yeah, that was a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, problem. That's where girl. you went wrong. Yeah, you know, we were, like, kind of, like, sleeping together kind of thing. And then I took a bus back from Jersey back to Maryland. And I remember I stopped in a convenience store. And this is, like, Maybe a month after the thing I did in Nashville, right. and I uh, I stole a you know a candy bar or something like that, or and I think I stole some maybe something else. And I walked out of the convenience store. I walked in the bus, and I and I had been thinking about Christianity a lot, but it hadn't really clicked for me yet. I was still stealing. I was still with this chick, and right. I was like, uh, I I can't do that anymore. You know, I just really felt convicted by that, right. and I never stole again after that. So wow. it was just, that was quick, but there were a lot of other things that you know yeah. it was. It wasn't like and for me, I'm a very like I need some type of rational arguments and things like that. So I needed to study um, things for for it to be more real for me. It wasn't like this emotional thing. So everybody's a little bit different. Well, it's interesting,
0: you know. I think when people have an opposition to religious points of view, I'm just I'm right. phrase it that way. Right, it, you're like. You're also very intellectual with it, right? Like you, you like you said, you've read, and it, most people will quote the Bible, right? You right. said C.S. Lewis, you read about Buddhism, right. like you were just kind of like absorbing the entire ecosystem. And I right. think that, you know, I, <laughs> the, the, the silly thing, thought phrase that came to my head, it gives you like a, a little bit of a superpower, and especially in terms of being able to have a convert, like an intelligent dialogue, because right. most people who are like Bible thumpers, if right. you will. Yeah, it's like their conviction isn't wrong, right? But it's not like it's not an intellectual point of view,
1: right? Um, and some people are mo- more moved by feeling than intellect, of course. And, and, and you know, humans are all different, and we're complex. And I am sure there was an emotional side of it as well. But you know, I am just, I am like a very, I am sort of like a pessimist slash like. I question, like, I question everything. Like, it's really hard. For, so it's really hard for, the fact that I'm, like, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, spiritual or whatever. Sure. Is kind of, you know, interesting because there's, you know, huge potential for me to just, like, question. You know, I, that's, I think being good at um, something business-related or being creative, a lot of that is, being ability to the ability to question things
0: well, it was it, you know it's an innate curiosity right you know and I, like i think that's what you know i just gave a talk on this uh, a, a few months ago and you know i listed out some of the principles of innovation and one of them was like this just be curious like right. ask questions no yeah. you don't have to challenge everything right but just ask a couple of layers deep right you know um and and that happens yeah, uh, i have like this whole
1: notebook um my, well, my wife like just jokes about it all the time that I keep that is just about things that don't work that should um, and then and then the other half of that is just business ideas and I have like literally hundreds and hundreds of things that don't work like every day I'm just <laughs> pissed off about something like why does it you know the heater and cooling system why are they so big you know they're like these huge like right. HVAC systems outside of homes or like why does artificial grass suck and like why is it 50, like i it, someone quoted me $15,000 for artificial grass. I'm like, this is plastic green stuff that you're $15,000. You know, and you just start to think about that. And like people are like talking about a drought in California. And you're like, why is water an issue? We live next to an ocean.
0: You <laughs> yeah, know, you're like, That's mine.
1: Yeah, right. You're like everything. Like, and you know, it, that could be from software to, to,
0: to anything, right? It's it makes you like, sound like a joy to be around. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's fun. It's entertaining, I'm sure. Um, so, okay, I'm a junk cat. I love, I love this. So, Fisherman Labs, you can teach a man to fish or lead him to whatever. Uh, where where does the uh, poetically, where does that, the you know, right. or does it fit into your? No, it ginger?
1: does. Uh, you know, the, the really funny thing is I hate seafood. I hate seafood. And people, you know, we did like a SWAT analysis. Why does seafood
0: have to come from the sea? Like, th- right. this is one, one of your questions.
1: Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, I, we, we did, like, a SWOT analysis for our partners the other day, and people, one of the weaknesses of mine was, like, he doesn't eat seafood. He can't go to business dinners. I'm like, how's that a weakness? Uh, but, uh, I mean, the fisherman thing to me, uh, I think no matter what you think about uh, Christianity, uh, the most impactful group in the history of the human race was these 12 people Apostles of Jesus and Jesus and you know these twelve people, you know most of them were fishermen. That's what they did for, as a profession, right. um, and then Jesus told them to go fish for men. Uh, and that from a just from a political standpoint, from philosophical, from culture change, like our cities are named after you know these religious things. Our names come from. Um, you know these these people, Peter, Paul, and these people, and these people had such wide influence across culture you know they the influenced early Roman culture all the right. way to all of Western culture all the way to now Eastern culture, the fastest growing place that Christianity is growing is in the east now you know in in Asia and Africa so all that that huge impact like you can argue about whether it's true or whether it's false, but if you just think about impact over time, like these people have massive impact and I think that's like ultimately what we're interested in like how do we make impact? Um, we get the opportunity to come alongside uh, c level executives and entrepreneurs and we get the opportunity to advise them on what they should do next and that to us means we get a lot of influence um, on hopefully, advising them to make great products um and yeah. things that are you know excellent so i think that that to me is the tie like these these fishermen that didn't know much but ended up writing the stuff and you know impacting these people became this huge influential group and that's that's powerful no matter like what you believe about it yeah. it's a powerful to look at the impact that they had
0: well do you ever think about like the domino effect of what you're doing you know yes you get to impact people in a room or in a moment but i also like to think you know when i like when i work with innovation teams i also feel like sometimes just your thinking may influence somebody in a way that you didn't even consider and you will probably never even see right right There's there's this moment where you're like and i think that's kind of like i think the you know the disciples were just doing what they were doing in the moment mm-hmm. they were i don't think they were thinking about the long standing global no. impact of you know no. the, the world impact yeah i'm sure but they no it idea. happened right, right. so uh, like do you ever does that thought ever cross your mind or you kind of you try to stay in the moment uh, like when you're <laughs> when you're having these creative brainstorms and problem solving sessions
1: no i mean i probably thought of, i probably think about that probably more than they did i'm sure they you know they were in the middle of the middle east like you know, not even like a big city, like, you know, I can't imagine how they could ever imagine what would have happened with a movement like that. Um, you know, for us, I think we're intentionally trying to impact people. So I think there is like more intent there. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I try to like, I think there's probably more planning that happens in a business than those guys were doing. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they were doing a lot more planning than I But
0: Well, by the way, I would argue that the other influential group of roughly 12 individuals yeah. is the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, Control Collective exists to inspire. We are a home for aspiring and established entrepreneurs looking to create, mold, and shape the future. The environment we create is purpose-built to inspire innovation and propel new ideas. Uh, well stated um what did what did i just read
1: so that's kind of like the mission statement of uh control collective so we have an interest in um this uh co-working space uh it's based in Playa but we just opened a co-working space in downtown and uh a second one right a second one yes. right and we're we're there's a few other ones in the works right now um in, in throughout LA and we want to be this um we want to be this brand in in LA around you know building community um you know building innovators um, supporting people that are trying to do impactful things. And we, so we, Charles and I, when we were um, running Fishman, we got, I got to meet David originally, David Bren, who's the kind of founder, um, and then Talia. Who's a CEO, also founder of Control Collective, and we met them. I met David originally, and we had conversations back and forth, and we just hit it off. We're like, man, we have a very similar vision on what we want to do. Fisherman at the time was thinking we need to go out and like buy an office, or we we want to like be in a location. So what does that look like for us to either buy an office or rent an office or maybe do some type of co-working thing? Um and you know, because part of our thing is how, how to be impactful, how to create community, and those are all like important values of our company, sure. co working seemed to make a lot of sense, but running a co working space is very, very difficult. So it seemed to work very well where um, we could come alongside and partner with, uh, with Control. And uh, they were looking for investors. They were looking for partners as well. And so we we just got along. We, we just really got along, and we became kind of like partners with Control, um, our company. So we're housed out of there, and it works really, really well because we we're an agency, um, and we do work for brands. But we get to operate in this bigger ecosystem of you know two hundred plus events a year at our Playa office. That's amazing. Um, and uh, you know we're involved in the planning of some of those. We're uh, involved in trying to going to them and interacting with people. And, uh, and, but we also, you know, run our own company too, as well. So it's, it's a great kind of fit for us. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been there for about just maybe just over a year now, or maybe it hasn't even been that long, but it's been about a year now and, and yeah, it's been awesome.
0: What's the, uh, what's the Eden Chen definition of community?
1: I think like community to me is, uh, being able to, um, give to somebody without necessarily, um, so it's community to me is like true friendship, right? Authentic friendships with people. And that usually means um, liking your time with someone and not necessarily doing it because you're getting something in return, but because you enjoy the presence of that person. Mm. So I think like... Um, inauthentic communities are when you know everyone's there because they're trying to get something out of it, which you know that's the initial point for a lot sure. of relationships, which is fine because you know if it's hard to even make contact with someone without some reason for that. Um, but beyond that, it's like, man, I enjoy this person. You know, I really enjoy their personality. I enjoy learning from them, and um, you know that there's a that mutual uh, respect both ways. So I think that uh, that across many many different people is what we're trying to create so like control collective for example a big portion of control the control spaces if you've been there are open space which is different from a lot of other co-working spaces where um, a lot of it is private office and it's it tends to be just like a huge building with a lot of private office spaces right Um, with control it's a big open space there's tons of events members get to go to the events and um and that forces some level of community just by nature of like do people
0: like, like that though like there's always a balance between like right. I, I need to make a phone call or i don't want anybody to see what I'm working on like totally you know, and there's some practicality to that so like right. where where does that part play into it because it, co-working spaces are it's i mean it's obviously a growing right. area of yep. business practice but you know there is some reservations whether it's a generational thing totally. or just like I don't get it. Like, but what what do you? What do you yeah,
1: there, I mean, I think there totally needs to be a balance. So we have uh, rooms. We have like five rooms in the open space that you can just go into that are like sort of like phone booths. There's TVs in there, and you can just sit there and work and reserve those rooms. Yeah, and anybody can reserve those rooms, and it's part of your membership. So it's one of those things where. You want the open space because there's community that's driven there. But if you need to go and work, um, and you 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 don't want to be disturbed, you go in one of the rooms and you just crank out. Or you, you, if we have a meeting, for instance, I mean we have meetings all the time as an agency. Right. We need we have we have a, access to all these different meeting spaces. So every time, so part of our process is anytime we have a client come in, we have rooms booked, um, and you know, we, or or else we would just be in front of like a hundred other people <laughs> and <they'd> be listening <laughs> to what we're doing. Exactly. So totally.
0: So we're gonna give you. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's that's cool. Um, so when you, you mentioned these events. Like, what what are, I mean, give us an example of one. Because 200 plus, like, it could be very repetitive. It's, it's the same thing. But, but to program yeah. that is like a whole other beast in and of itself. Totally.
1: I mean, there's like, uh, so we do, uh, you know, it's your standard kind of like dev events where we're doing like kind of like, learning javascript and you can go and you know sign be, me up yeah exactly be with a bunch of people that want to learn javascript <laughs> right or like growth hacking 101 you know you have those kinds of things and you have like kind of funny stuff like bring your dogs and like dog community and they have like you know like oh there, there was a day where we had like 100 do- like i think I, don't, I can't remember how many it was like 120 dogs at the office and i was like what is going i mean i'm not down with this
0: but some people are so yeah yeah uh, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm allergic, so I wouldn't <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's that's super cool. Um, uh, as we sort of wind down a little bit, uh, you get to see a lot. You're also curious. You're also intellectual. Um, you're also an overachiever, which I, I hate about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're 20, 29, is that right? 29, yeah. Yep. yep. Uh, you know it's funny? I got called for a 40, under 40. Nice. Two days after my 40th birthday. Oh, you're, you're like you're too late. <laughs> yeah, was like a day off. Matter of fact, it was one of those things. It was like, <laughs> how old are you? And I was like, why? What? And I was like, via email. I was like, why? What's up? <laughs> and then it was like, I was like, my birthday. I just turned. It was like, you know, the sixth. And it, and the person didn't respond. <laughs> like, they didn't. Re- they didn't respond. Wow. The email. Um, but later Age I had a conversation them. with exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I get it all. Age, race, um, <laughs> sense of humor. Right. Yeah. So uh, you've seen a lot. <laughs> that's, what I was, that's where I was going. Um, the show is called Innovation Crush. What are you currently crushing on? You've talked about AR. You've talked about Jesus. You've talked about, you know, startups and money. Like, what's the, what is the What is something right now that's kind of, like, on your mind? You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't get that off, and I have a huge innovation crush on that.
1: Yeah, so something that uh, my my wife and I are super, super uh, passionate about uh, is uh, community. In, well, we love Los Angeles, first of all, as a city. Um, But, you know, I have a passion for community. I just kind of talked about that a little bit. But so we, about two years ago, intentionally moved into South Central. Um, We, you know, we came out of this uh, environment where, like, I personally became Christian because I was working in a low income environment. Um, and, you know, serving people in low-income environments and found so much joy in doing that. And I spend most of my day working with clients, um, you know, innovating, coming up with kind of cool solutions and, you know, working on making an app or a website and things like that. And I love that. And it's so fun. But part of me like really missed also spending time with people that are not inundated in tech all the time, you know, and they, you know, they go out on their street and sit on the porch and they're saying hi to their neighbor kind of thing. And Something about Los Angeles that's that's really unique about this city is that it's a city of neighborhoods, right? So you could be in South Central and experience one type of neighborhood, then you could go to Beverly Hills and experience a completely different neighborhood, and then you could go to Hollywood and where we are now, and it's totally different. Every neighborhood, Venice is different, Silver Lake's different. You have all these different neighborhoods, and each one has its unique personality. And the cool thing about South Central is a lot of the people that live there have been there for 20 years, 30 years, been there since the 70s. And they all know each other by first name basis. I have like amazing stories to tell about how my neighbors have served me being there. Um, We're like the only Asian people in like uh, maybe three, four mile radius. And uh, and people just love on us. And you hear all these bad stories about South Central and gang violence and all that stuff. And some of that is true, but a lot of the stories that are About how people love on each other isn't that's not talked about, and um, so I think like you know definitely passionate about seeing inner city development happen, Um, passionate about seeing minorities get into technology and get opportunities to you know all the we had for a while about twenty kids from the local neighborhood coming over to our house, and none of the twenty kids had uh, stable fathers at home. Mm. Um, so for, for me, just even, um, empirically looking at my neighborhood and the problems why, with why a lot of young um, black men in my neighborhood get involved in gang violence and selling drugs and using a lot of it has to do with uh, a lack of male, um, you know, uh, mentorship and influence. And, uh, you know, there's great moms that are, but they're working like two jobs and they're trying to do all this stuff for their kids and their kids are just out and about during the day. And we had, you know, about... 20, relationships with about 20 kids and those kids, now that have fathers. We would have them by our house and we'd cook like pizza and we'd like put vegetable toppings together and we'd all eat together yeah. uh, and enjoy like a meal together. And they'd see like me serving my wife, like opening the car door for her, um, you know, when we went in the car. And, they, and it was something that they had never seen before. Um, so that's like this unique opportunity, I think, to like, there's a lot of need for people to take risk. And you know people do it in business all the time, right? Um, because it's fun and it's joyful, and I love it.
0: And, Why do you think more people don't do that? Like, I think uh, again, there, uh, uh, and this comes up. This is a theme on uh, you know, in a lot of these conversations. Some, a lot of us think about doing the thing, right? And then some of us do the thing, right? Right? Yeah. Um, well, you know, what's the difference between you and the other person next to you who thought about it, right? Uh, you know, that drove you to, you know,
1: I think like. I think you have the media, first of all, that kind of, like, skews some things in people's minds. Yeah. Um, and people forget that people are just people. You know, you know if whether you go to yeah. one neighborhood or another, there are, people are people. Um, there's good people everywhere. There's bad people everywhere. And uh, there's goodness in people. There's a deep goodness in people and a deep evil in people, too, as well. And um, I don't think those things are, are talked about enough. And I don't think people are, a lot of times, willing to take a risk, on behalf of another person without getting something back in return enough. And I think what people don't realize, though, is that We get like a lot of people are like, oh, you guys are so you know cool because you moved down, but whatever. And for us, it's like, no, we we actually really enjoy this. This is not a (laughs) this is not like a PR thing for us. Like we enjoy our neighbors, we enjoy the kids that we get to interact with, we enjoy the local church that we go to. That's like a twenty-five person church plant. Mm. Um, We enjoy those things, and it's refreshing, and it it challenges a lot of my a lot of my assumptions with. I'm constantly around this tech community and I love that work and I and I enjoy it and it's what I want to spend my life doing but at the same time experiencing another world gives me a different perspective and it it, it honestly helps me as a person it helps me think more creatively it gives me joy uh and a lot of people don't see that aspect of it so it's just it that. feels just like sacrifice right
0: Yeah no it's it's interesting because I you know I grew up in Detroit and right. like Case in point, Detroit is one of the cities that gets a bad rap. Right. And granted, mm-hmm. there are some crazy things that happen there. And there's also like especially now, there's like some amazing things happen. And people right. like gravitate towards the destruction porn. Um yeah. and you know, and so to to challenge that story, but also I think like you, in in my creative work, it's like, you know, when I think about the thing that I'm thinking, it's supposed to be general market. Right. I'm like, all right. Like, you mentioned the VR penetration. Right. right. You're like, I think we over-sensationalize it when we talk to ourselves as an industry. Right. Yeah. And then he's like, yeah, but there's Boise, Idaho. I spoke at a conference. There were 1,500 people in the audience. Right. And, like, I had a slide, and I was talking about BR, VR. VR. Uh, yeah. Baskin Robbins I was talking yeah. about ice cream yeah. um, I was talking about VR yeah. and uh, I was like by the way how many people here have tried a VR experience three people raised right. their hand no, it's and, a it was, crazy. and, and yeah. so you start to think about like your perspective is from this neighborhood and like right. an intrinsic human need mm-hmm. at, at, a, at a core um, but also like, yes alright when we're creating this product or this service via this client mm-hmm. um, then you know you have a, a, a broader perspective on that, that potential impact
1: yeah and I think like empathy to me is one of the most powerful design mechanics out there in terms of like if you want to be a great designer you need to have empathy for people and um you know we're constantly thinking about design solutions how do we create amazing product Um, if you want to create amazing product you have to design it in a way um and i think you know a lot of there's a there's a term that's sort of like empathetic design and you know there's there's a lot of like, agencies out there that are producing work that it the thing looks really, really good. But then um, just because something looks good to what we think should look good doesn't mean the general population will love it. Right. Which is, you know, shocking to us as, you know, creatives, designers.
0: Borderline offensive.
1: Yeah, it's like, (laughs) no, people don't love great design. Well, it's like, well, what is great design? You know, design means, like, understanding someone um, and being able to design so that they feel like the product that they're using is both um usable in the sense that it's obvious like they know they're not getting lost in it and it, and it looks good to them too and right. that's a hard thing to do because we have such a you know vast population but if you don't understand people you're not going to be a good designer right
0: right um last but not least complete this phrase for me ready why are you you, you got you have a suspicious smile <laughs> on your face God, i don't uh. know this this is really like <laughs> damn. Uh, uh complete this phrase okay innovation to me is Innovation to me is, I think
1: it's it's doing something um, it's doing something new. Obviously, I think that's like your your, your textbook definition. But I think uh, to me, if you if you innovate well, um, you're surprising people. Uh, I think that's that's where there's an element of surprise and excitement that comes with true innovation. So I I can't remember who talks about this, but they talk about a product needs to, in order for a product to really um take off it, it needs to be like 10x better right because someone the switching costs of something that's 2x better is just not not worth it um, but if something is 10x better um, you you have a huge incentive to uh, to switch and and like like Uber versus taxis for example, right? You know the experience is so much better, not just on like you know the 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 quality of the car and that, but it's the the timing. You know you don't you're not calling a phone number, you're showing up. There was a water bottle early on, and you got all. I mean it was it was such a great experience.
0: You felt like a baller, like that was a, you right know, when Uber first launched, yeah. and it was just black cars, right? And I was like. Ooh, like I got, I got. I'm in a black car. Like it was just yeah. You know. It's
1: convenience. It's comfort. It's right. like there's so many different elements to that. So the true innovation that's happening, I think, there's an element of shock and surprise to it um, that uh, that really catches you off guard. And then you're like, I'm interested in checking this out. I'm interested in trying this. And I think um, you know, too many times we kind of just are willing to do a little like one and a half X better. Um, but we, what we really need to do is like, think of a completely new paradigm on how to, you know, really shock people with an amazing product. Uh, I mean, we all, we all the time look at like fortune 500 apps just because, um, you know, we use apps as examples. I mean, these people are spending millions of dollars on these applications that, uh, just basic, basic issues are there where like, you know, like for example, Google says that like, engagement with the hamburger menu on mobile is something that should never be used. Like Hamburger menus engage way lower than um, bottom menus. So unless you want to hide something, you generally do not use a hamburger menu. Mm. There are, And then if you already use a hamburger menu, you usually see that hamburger menu on the top left. So the consumer is expecting to see a hamburger menu on the top left of their app. Now, there's apps that put hamburger menus on the top right You know, for no reason. You right. Know? right. And, um, users are used to seeing, you know, uh, header sizes of, uh, you know, of apps at a certain, you know, height. And people don't, re- and also buttons. Buttons need to be a certain height uh, or else a user is automatically going to realize something's off with this. And they don't know what's necessarily wrong, but something's off. And, like, all these little details add up to, like, a great application. And if you're just kind of focused on, like, let's make something pretty and put it together real quick and let's right. launch it, then you're not, Two X better. You're nothing better. You're you're like just status quo. And most stuff, most you're stuff, different out there is like at that. best. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. You're, you're different at best, and maybe you have some. And a lot of people are like, "We need an app." And like, we're a big company. We need an app. You know, we're Chick Fil A. We need an app. You know, Chick Fil A's app is actually really good. But <laughs> we're Chick Fil A. We need an app. <laughs> and and uh, Chick Fil A is basic. yeah, it's very very good. Yeah, <laughs> this is sponsored by Chick Fil A. This episode, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but yeah, touching every detail and making sure that it's perfect and that things are the way that they should be, and you're doing the research and you're doing the testing, it, it takes things to a whole nother level. And, yeah. that, you know, that's what we really want to do as a
0: company, too, as well. All right. Um, where can people find out more about you or Fisherman Labs? Where can they, you know, where, where should they Google? Where does, where does the Googling happen? Where, uh, well, I mean, there's <laughs> not
1: a lot of Fisherman Labs out there, so you can Google <laughs> Fisherman Labs. Uh, you can find me, uh, just Eden Chen on Twitter. Uh, that's probably what I use the most, which is sad because no one uses Twitter anymore. Um, and uh, anybody can email to email me too. I'm speaking at, of Twitter.
0: Oh, yep. Yeah. Um, um, I, one. No. When you I when you Twitter. when you posted your thank you about your 30 under 30 in Forbes, you, you Most people be like, "Thank you, Forbes, for the shout out." You thanked your team. Um, uh, kudos for that. I thought that was it, it's a you know it's one of those small like differences. Most people are like, "Oh, thank you, Forbes," and like not realizing like they were. 10 other people that helped you get to where you Right. No,
1: I mean, I I honestly feel like bad about it. It's, you know, to something, it's like in one hand, I, my role in the company is to sort of like be out there and to be in front of people. But just because I'm in front of people and get credit and it doesn't mean that there's not like a ton of other people. I almost feel bad for my team in some ways when I, when stuff like that happens, because it's like people see me, but but there's so many other people that are doing things. I want everybody to be seen, you know? So I think if
0: you're the one opening the door, that's like, that's totally fine. But I think the fact that you had the, you know, the wherewithal to like do that in in a public moment, I thought that was pretty cool. Well, thanks.
1: Yeah. We have an amazing team.
0: So they're, kudos to those guys yeah screw them <laughs> everyone yeah. this has been another installment <laughs> on of that the... note yeah. <laughs> screw those guys screw those guys <laughs> Eden
1: Chen for life my own company you see too. you guys
0: yeah uh, anyway um, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush and we will talk to you next time